Life in a Small French Village, Episode 14, The End. In time, the village became quieter, less picturesque. A few of the old characters died, others left. I also left, but returned to the village faithfully every year. Went to sit in Mary Paul's kitchen and drink her appalling mix of overboiled cafe and chicory. And every year I saw changes. Life was becoming blander. When people left, their houses were bought up by incomers who wanted little to do with local life. They simply wanted to live in a rural setting, but they didn't want village social life. Their lives turned around televised drama, not local. And amongst the older local people, there was the clear belief that local life was being ruined by a communications industry created to sell Coca-Cola. There were still a few local eccentrics around, and they kept tongues wagging. Much of the gossip centred around Patrick Robert, the local bad boy. In his younger days, he was known to help in the disappearance of many objects, but now in his fifties he had calmed down. He made his living as an odd job man, putting in tiles, doing plumbing, renovating, plastering, repairing roofs, anything anyone needed. And he was well equipped with the many expensive electrical tools he needed for getting a job done quickly. The problem was... Although Patrick did agree to do the odd jobs for a set price, once he got started, he claimed expenses for materials, something had broken, was defective, another joint was needed here. So in the end, the job cost the double. The unlucky client knew he'd been cheated, but had no recourse, especially since the work was undeclared. Besides, Patrick was a forceful man with a gift of the gab. Another of Patrick's talents was borrowing money and forgetting to pay it back. He ended up owing small sums to many of the village men. He once ordered a meal for 30 people at one local cafe and restaurant, but neglected to pay the bill. After that, he frequented a cafe in a neighbouring village some eight kilometres away where few locals went. And Patrick did adore spending his evenings in cafes. He just couldn't help pulling a fast one whenever he could. The cafe where he could now be found belonged to Lévrier, and Lévrier and Patrick were fast friends. Patrick was an excellent client, usually spending hours downing one glass of pastis after another, telling tall tales, amusing everyone. He was a great storyteller, witty, excessive and quick. And as a good and faithful client, he couldn't help but run up a bill. He didn't always have money to pay for the night's tippling. His wife, who worked in a canning factory, was the one who had the steady income, and she also controlled the family budget with a zeal that could only be termed stingy. So, of course, Patrick was often short of cash. 
And so, of course, Lévrier gave him credit. After all, they were buddies. They went out hunting together. They went out poaching together. Together they fished where they weren't supposed to. Together they drove out to the coast one night and illegally gathered oysters. So why wouldn't Lévrier trust his buddy Patrick? Eventually the sum became excessively high. And that was when Patrick ceased to frequent Lévrier's café. If we can only imagine Lévrier's thoughts, what we do know is that he vowed to get even, and he would bide his time. The village in which Lévrier's café stood was a small one, with one long main road, a narrow main road. From time to time, through the café window, Lévrier would see Patrick pass in his van, and he'd always wave too, as if nothing were amiss. At one point, Lévrier noted that Patrick was passing through the village quite regularly, each day and at around the same hour. And that meant Patrick had a renovating job somewhere in the area. That also meant he had his expensive tools with him. One day, just as Patrick passed through the village, Livrier and two friends were waiting for him in the middle of the road. Patrick slowed down, stopped. He had no choice. Livrier opened the van door, leaned in, pulled the keys out of the ignition, walked around the van, opened the doors at the back. There, as he expected, were all of Patrick's fancy tools. Lévrier and his buddies grabbed every single one of them. You'll get them back when you've paid me what you owe me, said Lévrier. And he and his buddies carried the tools off into the café. Patrick only shrugged. He wasn't a violent man. He relied on ruse for his success, not on fists. And Lévrier felt good. He knew Patrick could do nothing without his tools. He would have to pay off his debt. Only a mere two hours later, a police car pulled up in front of Lévrier's café. I know why you're here, said Lévrier, but Patrick Robert's not getting those tools back until he pays me the money he owes me. One officer only shook his head sadly. Yes, I do understand how you feel and why you did what you did. There's only one problem. Those tools you took don't belong to Patrick Robert. He took them from someone else, and we're here to get them back and hand them over to their rightful owner. After the 1990s, village life changed quickly. New housing tracks sprung up all over the countryside, and people flocked to them, at first shunning the old houses in the village centres, then eventually converting them to modern look-alikes, smothering their stone or chalk and sand facings under heavy layers of cement, ripping out wooden window frames and doors and replacing them with metal and PVC roll-down shutters and doors. Local shops ceased to exist, 
were replaced by the huge supermarkets, hypermarkets, and commercial centres being constructed on the outskirts of larger towns and alongside the many new housing estates. In France alone, 412 acres of natural habitat and quality agricultural land are lost each day to housing tracts, commercial centres and roads. This means 200,000 acres per year, or 26 square metres each second. And the destruction is also carried out by those who come to live in the new developments. Those who move into these tracts have difficulty adapting to life in the country. They see natural phenomena such as wasps, hornets and bees as dangerous, and they must be destroyed. Snakes are killed instead of being respected for the friends that they are and their role in keeping down the rodent population. Birds' nests are destroyed because they are considered dirty. In the 1980s, farmers were encouraged to use new chemical fertilizers, insecticides, fungicides, insect fungicides, herbicides, rodenticides, regulators, attractants, repellents and spreaders that have polluted soils, rivers and oceans. Caught by the need to produce more coupled with low prices for agricultural products, Encouraged by the banks to take out loans to buy the newest machines and go into debt, small farmers began to vanish. Today, in 2019, 200 farms disappear each week. One retired person in two is not replaced. The suicide rate for farmers remains high. One farmer kills himself every two days in France. Farm is a word of the past. Now farming is an industry. Cows pass their days in huge barns where food is abundant and a chemical mix. Chickens live out in those low battery buildings on the horizon, thousands of them crammed into one small space. Pigs and cows and goats have no experience of rain or open skies. They know only the metal grates under their feet, not earth and not fresh grass. Some farms have 1,000 cows, 23,000 pigs, 690,000 chickens. The countryside too has changed dramatically since the 1980s. Many of the green lanes, those sunken roads lined with hedges once crisscrossing the country, and connecting farms and villages, have disappeared. They've been ploughed over by modern industrial farmers to make way for their vast fields. Also gone are those who use the lanes, traders, tinsmiths, vagabonds, pilgrims, students, brigands, peddlers, roof thatchers and woodcutters. The green roads that remain are usually overgrown and abandoned. Some have been rehabilitated, and are used by modern-day hikers who form groups of over a hundred, or by others who make destruction even more certain, the cyclists, bikers, and those with quads. Once village cafes were where people met and formed loyalties, but increased mobility takes people out of their areas. Far-off tourist paradises are where people meet others these days. 
and the new loyalties formed are considered superior to local ones. With cheap airline tickets, far-off horizons are sold as more appealing than local ones. And even former agricultural workers like Mary Pauline Guy drive around France, although such a thing would have seemed inconceivable to them 20 or 30 years ago. The result is there are no longer any village cafes and no places to meet others. There has been an influx of foreigners, mainly the Dutch and the English, who think French village life is interesting or cute or traditional. Their references are the many books written by those who settled and looked for a cute old movie image of France, complete with old men on bicycles, baguettes in hand, or the televised series featuring English tea rooms in old chateaux and redone houses. Such books and televised features never mention that integrating into French society isn't easy and that foreigners are, to a certain extent, resented because of the higher house prices that followed their arrival and their tendency to remain amongst themselves, to eat their own food and employ as workers those from their home countries, especially when communicating in French can be a problem. I return to the village of Montaigne each year. It's a pilgrimage of sorts, although I know no one there now. Madame Sawicki died years ago, and near the end of her life she no longer remembered who I was. Her house was sold and converted into a modern cement bungalow. The same happened to that belonging to Madame Contal, to Mary Paul, to my former house too, the one I took such care to restore in traditional materials. All has been slathered over with cement, and the result is a village lacking in character and patina. There are many new constructions around the village. None of them take into consideration predominant winds, floodplains, or exposure. There are no riotous flowers, no weeds, and there are far fewer trees. Trees are looked upon with suspicion in the country. And even in some main cities, such as Poitiers and Rodez, have removed the hundreds that once lined city streets and provided welcome shade in summer. In Montaigny, streets are calm these days. No one sits on the little bench in the square. There are no longer cafes. There is no restaurant and no shop. Village people keep to themselves, in imitation of those who live in the housing estates. What happened to all the others I knew? Mary Paul and Guy moved north to another village where, after retirement, they bought a new bungalow, a step up for agricultural workers. La Grosse, or Fatty, died long ago in mysterious circumstances, according to Mary Paul. Dracula was last seen passing through the village years ago, when her lover, Courtepat, died, she left Montaigny, and when she returned, perhaps on a pilgrimage much like mine, she was accompanied by her newest lover. I have heard that there's still a village fete here each year, but that it's a rather artificial affair, one that tries to draw up the old solidarity. There are games, a ball with disco lights and techno, it bears no resemblance to what it once had been. 
village inhabitants were once sneered at by city folk, but there's little difference now. Some of the more disagreeable aspects of country life have certainly vanished with modernization. But I miss the time when, not so long ago, each French village was considered a unique place and not at all like the surrounding villages. When, according to locals, in those other villages there were strange goings-on and disagreeable folk. And when you arrived in a village directly from the fields, not like these days, when you first passed through look-alike yellow or beige housing developments, when there were also several cafes, and people went to them to meet others, to exchange news, ideas, form friendships and loyalties. And each cafe had its own character. And you weren't welcome in all of them when there were still small village shops where you could buy the strangest odds and ends, and even the products of home gardens, when village squares were a heart of sorts, places where people sat on warm afternoons, setting the world to rights, when there were local cranks and odd characters, not just folk ironed out by television and the pressure to conform.